Happy Easter Sunday. Happy Resurrection Day, right? As I was uh, preparing for uh, today, I, for those of you who may know me, I actually didn't grow up here in the U.S., so I didn't fully understand what it is to have Easter, so to speak, you know, to go hunt and look for eggs. We, uh, we wouldn't look for eggs. We'd probably go look for egg rolls in Vietnam. But, uh, so I was trying to look up to see Easter. Like, what does it really mean? We, we understand that it's a resurrection day when Jesus comes back. But why do people use the term Easter? Um, so the name Easter started roughly in the 17th century. To, uh, so the idea is still the same. It's about the resurrection. But they try to use the, the term Easter with looking for eggs and the bunny. Just, it's a way to include the kids and make it more family-friendly. And it's a way to make it uh, a celebration, which is true. It is a celebration. Uh, this day was meant to be a joyful day and a day, like I said, of celebration. The intention is good. But over time, it has taken away the, the importance and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so hopefully after today, my heart is to show that the term Easter does not do justice to the significance and the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus. It is uh, the resurrection of Jesus is actually the second most important foundation within Christianity after his death on the cross, if not just as important. So I want to make it... Uh, uh, I understand that Easter, we want to make it joyful, we want to make it family-friendly, but we also need to be reminded of the significance of what we are celebrating. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, the God who knowingly and willingly died the most painful, excruciating, prolonged, humiliating public death known to mankind. He, he died and was raised up to life after three days to show us his power and his victory over death, both physical death and victory over spiritual death. And we're going to go through all that this morning. Uh, he went through all that for all of us, all people, not just a few, all people. He went through all that, was raised back to life for all of us. And that's what we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So before we actually get into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only one, let me remind you again, the only one in the history of all mankind who died in public in front of thousands of people and came back alive three days later, as in flesh and blood. You may have heard a story of someone came back alive in spirit, or there's an image of someone came back. Jesus was the only one that came back in flesh and blood, came back alive in flesh and blood. And he appeared, over, he appeared to over 500 people, not just a few. You know, if there's only two people that saw Jesus, you can probably keep a secret, right? Like, let's make this up. But he appeared to over 500 people. And we know that from 1 Corinthians 15. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about why Jesus, the God who existed even before the beginning of time, who created all things and hold all things in his hand, and the reason for all things to remain in existence, why did he have to die on the cross for all of us? Because if I was Jesus, which I'm not, it's like, I don't need those people. I'm very content with where things are at. I didn't need you before the beginning of time. I don't need you now. I'm not going to need you later. So why did Jesus went through all that for all of us? So uh, we often hear about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Um, if you were like how I used to think, used to think, 
prior to choosing to accept Jesus, which is totally understandable. I used to think that I didn't do anything wrong, right? As in, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they did what God specifically told them not to do, what does it have to do with me, right? I mean, that's what I used to think. You don't have to think like that, which is understandable because uh, that's what I used to think. I didn't eat it. That's their problem. As in, too bad for them. I used to think that way because I wasn't fully aware of the concept of spiritual consequences. It is similar to a physical consequences on the decision and the action that we take. And I want to use an example of how our action and the decision that we make will bring about certain consequences. There are always consequences to our actions and our decisions. For an example, you, I think most of you guys know that we have three little kids. Uh, we live right in the corner of Bradley and Damon, which is fairly busy street. So for example, I tell my kids to not run in, across the street in front of a speeding bus. If you do that, you will die, or you will seriously be injured. So let's say they choose not to listen to me and think that they know better than me, right, and decide to run across the street in front of a speeding bus. I mean, chances are something is going to happen. They're not that fast. They may think that they're fast. Chances are they will get seriously injured or possibly die. So the act of disobedience will leave lasting physical consequences. So the physical uh, consequences of that action will be visible to the natural eyes, right? Because if you see it, let's say if, if a kid run across the street in front of a speeding bus and get hit, you will see the consequences of that action. It will be paralyzed or dead or what have you. So I, I know this is kind of gloomy, but there's a reason for this. I'm coming to it. So, so go, going back to what Adam and Eve, what they did, what they chose to do, left a lasting spiritual consequence. The spiritual consequences of death cannot be seen with the natural eyes. However, its impact is more lasting than we can possibly imagine. When, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, or when they disobeyed God, they left a spiritual consequence that was embedded within all generations of people that, that come after them. That spiritual consequence that originated from the disobedience of Adam and Eve has been passing down to all generations. It is an unstoppable force of spiritual downfall. Spiritual downfall, and it is gaining momentum with each generation. There is some positive to this. So. But I, I just want to take us back in time a little bit so that we can fully understand the significance of the cross and the significance of the resurrection. So, that's one way to help us understand the spiritual consequences. And perhaps, perhaps some of us may believe in evolution, Taoism, or the survival of the fittest. It's going to be a little bit uh, controversial. But I would ask if you have seen the National Geographic, or if you ever seen any show on the Discovery Channel, and see how unforgiving it is to live. One mistake could mean life or death when you're out there in the wilderness. Survival of the fittest. The underlying idea of the survival of the fittest is the most unforgiving, oppressive, inhumane, racist, 
merciless, hateful concept of living. I gave you examples of Germany Nazi. These are some things that we all know. Germany Nazi, right, during World War II, six million people were killed, not died, killed. Communism under Joseph Stalin in Russia estimated 30 million people were killed. That's on the low end. Mao Zedong in China estimated 65 million people were killed. The Cameroons estimated 8 million people were killed. This is just within the last 100 years. I know it is a complicated topic, but if we believe in evolution, then we believe in the underlying concept of only the strong survive, right? Or only those who empower survive. Because if you're strong, you survive, and you weed out the weak. So deep down, we know it's not true, or at least I trust, or I hope that we know it's not true. Because if it was true, anyone who is not in power, or not from a superior race, whatever that is, depends on what continent you live in, or not in a superior physical condition, will be systematically eliminated based on the survival of the fittest, the idea and the belief behind that. So deep down, we know the survival of the fittest is not true because God has put something within us when he created his people. He is love, and he has put a part of himself in us when he created us, right? So we go back to Genesis 1, verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image. Therefore, we choose to believe in a mighty and loving God, a God who is who, a God with unimaginable power that created the universe. Just at the very first verse in Genesis, in the beginning, God. He created the universe because of him. The universe remains in existence. It remains in existence not because of the laws of thermodynamics, which does not apply to the Black Bang, by the way. Just, just so you know, I had a sermon on this a little bit, and I didn't want to go into it, but anyway. So anyway, <laughs> we're recording this. I'm going to delete this up the last two seconds. So we choose to believe in a mighty God who despise and hate the idea of the survival of the fittest. We know this because God despised the proud and those thinking they are better than others. We know this from Proverbs uh, 3, verse 34. God does not like those who are proud. It is because every person was made in his image. Every person was wonderfully and uniquely created by God. Each one of us is precious to him. He loves each and every one of us who was ever created. I, I want to say this, and I think there are those who don't have kids out here, but when you have a kid, that is the most beautiful thing ever. Right, parents? I think so. Hopefully all the parents are raising their hands. <laughs> so that's what God is treating like for every single one of us. We are wonderfully and uniquely made, and each and every one of us is precious to him. So I wanted to briefly, briefly, I wanted to briefly take us back to the beginning of what happened in the Garden of Eden so we can appreciate the significance and the importance and the impact of the amazing sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection, which I'm going to talk about soon. So as I mentioned earlier, through the physical act of disobedience by Adam and Eve, they brought spiritual death to all generations that have come after them. For thousands of years, people have been trying to live a righteous life, trying to reverse that spiritual death. I have tried, 
but we all have failed miserably and spectacularly. We can see that in the Old Testament. So this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our spiritual death. Jesus chose to be obedient to our Heavenly Father, knowingly and willingly went through the most excruciating, humiliating, painful public death for us. Just briefly, we can share about this for hours and hours, but just briefly on what Jesus went through at the end. Betrayed and deserted by his best friend. Separated from the Father, the one that he's always been united even before the beginning of time. He's never known or experienced what it's like to be separated from the Father, but he knew that was coming, and he was willing to do that for us. Whipped until he was within an inch of death. That was the punishment back then. The centurion who's watching the whipping, the lashing, whatever you want to call it, will only stop when you see that the person is about to die. So whether it's five lashes or 500 lashes, you keep on going until that prisoner is about to die. He was whipped until he was within an inch of, life, of death. After that, he had to carry the cross, 100 pounds. I know we got some strong guys here, but that's a lot to carry. And how long he had to carry for? 650 yards, so that's roughly seven city blocks. After he's been whipped within an inch of death. And then after that, nailed on the, on the cross. So the intent of the punishment for the crucifixion is to cause death by asphyxiation. Did I say that right? I'm going to blame it on my accent. So through, it, it's caused lack of oxygen to the lungs, which is causing multiple organs to fail. And that's the most painful death known to man. So Jesus chose to go through that. Through his obedience to our Father and for the joy set before him. And for the joy of knowing that we, the people that he loves, all people throughout the history of time, past, present, and future, will have an opportunity to be reconciled with God again. We'll have an opportunity to experience spiritual life again. We'll have an opportunity to turn away from the spiritual death that is embedded within us, whether we liked it or not, whether we wanted to or not, whether we did anything or not. It was in us. He did that so then we can have an opportunity to say, I am making this decision to change my life. You probably have seen many Bible verses leading up to this weekend because of Easter weekend. Uh, one of them I really like is from Romans 5, verse 7, 8, and 8, which I'm sure you have seen. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is why we call it amazing love. Amazing grace of our mighty God. While we were sinners, faulty, far from perfect, self-righteous, weak, selfish, self-absorbed, worrying about me, myself, and I, he went and died for us. His physical death on the cross paid for what we've been trying to do on our own for years and years, unsuccessfully. That is to be, what we've been trying to do is to be redeemed from our spiritual death to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father, to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. He died for us so we can experience perfection, so we can experience perfect love, so we can experience true 
true unconditional love. That is why evolution or the survival of the fittest theory cannot be a part of God's plan or it cannot be allowed to permeate, permeate into our belief system. It is not in the nature of who God is. Therefore, it is not in the nature of who we are. His resurrection is a stamp of approval from our Heavenly Father. God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what's bringing us joy. Because if we fully understand what happened and what we had, whether we deserved it or not, we can say that I didn't deserve it, but we have it. It's, like, it's the same thing as me saying, well, I didn't want to be Asian, but I am. So that's what you are, right? If Vanessa say, I don't want to be white, but she is. She would rather be Asian, but she can't. <laughs> that's why we're together. No, I'm just kidding. So that's, it's in us, whether we want to or not. <laughs> that was, for those of you who are visiting, that was, I was just joking. Um, so it is his stamp of approval from our Heavenly Father that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. It is finished. It is, as in my interpretation of it, as if God said, I accept this sacrifice on behalf of all mankind. Through their belief in your sacrifice and resurrection, they can enter into my presence and be with me through all eternity. My friend, that is how love wins. It is all about doing whatever you want as long as you love doing it. Jesus die, dying on the cross is how love wins. The greatest and most significant sacrifice ever in the history of mankind is how love wins. He didn't die for a few righteous or a few good people. His death on the cross was for all people. All people. Now think about this. Murderers, thieves, deceivers, bullies, cowards, the weak, the strong, those being bullied, abusers, those are being abused, the self-righteous, the proud, the humble, the weak, the old, the young, the wealthy, the poor, the oppressed. He died for all people. He died on the cross for all of us. That is how love wins. There are a lot of signs and signatures and things out there where you may see love wins. When you see that, think of Jesus. Nothing compares to that love. Because if people are saying the little things like, oh, well, you can do whatever you want as long as you love doing it. Love wins. No. Jesus dying on the cross is love wins. So we can see now that the act of disobedience from Adam and Eve brought spiritual death to everyone who came after them. But the act of obedience, that's what we're celebrating. The act of obedience from Jesus brought spiritual life to everyone who choose to believe in him. Can you see the connection? Disobedience, death. Obedience, life. We know the resurrection happened. It cannot be denied. There were people who did not believe in Jesus. There were Pharisees. They did not deny it. They just try to downplay the importance of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, you, you may have seen this online, social media. People commonly say 12 men never denied it for 40 years, right? More than 12 people never denied it because Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. All of them. They were beaten, stoned, tortured, imprisoned, you name it. They still never denied it. They didn't get persecuted for a cause. They, not just a few, but the many, were willing to endure persecution 
because they believe in a God who loves them so much that he would send his only begotten son to die for us. Love wins. That's how love wins. Jesus dying on the cross for all people. We know these people who got persecuted and never denied the existing and the resurrection of Jesus. They were not the brave heart, right? They weren't multiple of them. They were not the strongest, the bravest, the most courageous, or the most brilliant people capable of a scheme that influenced billions of people through thousands of years. They were just commoners, farmers, fishermen, corrupt tax collectors. I mean, one common thing they had in common, one thing they had in common was they were with Jesus. That was the only thing they had in common. And they banded together. And they realized, this is the true living God. I am willing to die for him. It's not a cause. It's not like a movie Braveheart where someone killed his wife and he go and wipe out everyone else. It's so much more than that. Sorry for that reference. There's no comparison. Also, I actually, I love action movies. So for those of you guys who've never been here, I usually try to reference an action movie here and there. Also, another thing about these people. All right, let's get serious. Come back. So initially, all of his disciples, more than just the original 11, I want to emphasize that all of them, his disciples, thought that Jesus died. So these were not like optimistic, brave, strong, courageous people right off the bat. They all thought that Jesus died, just like everyone else. Even though they had witnessed countless, countless incredible miracles performed by Jesus. The blind were able to have sight. The crippled were able to walk. Those who were crippled from birth were able to stand up and walk. Regenerated miracles, hand grown out of uh, an arm. It's incredible things that you cannot explain. Medically, scientifically, you cannot explain it. They witnessed it, and they still thought Jesus died and did not come back alive. They thought that Jesus was just another man, incredibly gifted, great teacher, as some prophets from the Old Testament, right? All those prophets died, and none of them ever came back alive. So what, what caused them to think that Jesus would come back? They thought the same thing of Jesus, that he died just like every other human being. So I'm trying to get the point that these are not people who were so brave and they thought they were so good or so smart or able to see into the future. They thought he died just like everyone else, like Jesus was incredibly anointed, but a person. We know this because according to scripture, Luke 24, after Jesus' death, they were all scared and downcasted. It's because they thought we've been following the wrong person. We know they didn't expect to find Jesus alive or coming back from the dead, right? If we go to Luke chapter 24, and I want to recommend and encourage you guys to read the whole chapter of Luke 24 later this week and allow God to speak to you in terms of what they went through, how they were downcasted, dejected, depressed, to becoming people who would die for him. So starting with verse 1, I'm not going to go through all the verses, but starting with verse 1, we can see that the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They thought he was dead. The reason you do that to bring the spices is because when the body dies, it's not decomposing. 
So they wanted to bring the spices to uh, help with the smell because they were expecting a decomposing body. That, that's one example. Another example is in Luke chapter 24, verse 21, two of the disciples were walking and when Jesus appeared to them and, and the disciples didn't know that was Jesus, so they said, we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I'm stressing this point to let us know it's good. These are not heroes and strong, courageous people right off the bat. They were not. They were just like anyone else. They, and possibly some of us still, could not wrap our human minds around the concept that Jesus brought victory, victory to our spiritual life through his death and was raised up. It is an amazing concept. His death brought life to all those who choose to believe. It's amazing, isn't it? Even when the, I, I just want to use the example of the disciple. I want to stress this point. It's because they were not so smart. Even when the, the woman told the disciples, they came back from not finding the body in the tomb, told the disciples that Jesus had risen. The very first evangelist were not guys. The man didn't believe them and thought they were talking nonsense. So, that goes to show that none of them thought that Jesus was going to come back alive, even those who had been with him. So I want to set the scene for what happened since the beginning of time in terms of what happened, the spiritual consequences, and how our mindset, we thinking that death is death. There's no turning back from death, and death is final. That's in our mindset for centuries and centuries, until now, until now, until Jesus' death on the cross. That we, when we choose to believe in him, we have new spiritual life again. Finally, I'm going to use the last seven to ten minutes to talk about the significance of the resurrection. So I want to set the scene so that we can understand why it's so important about the resurrection. We talked earlier about the impact of the spiritual consequences of Adam and Eve and their disobedience and how it can only be reversed by the sacrifice of someone who lived a perfect, sinless, and completely obedient to God's will. That someone was Jesus. His death on the cross brought us our salvation and restored us back into relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. And we know this, after three days, He was raised up alive. What are the significance of His resurrection? Firstly, He did what He said He would do, and He was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. He spoke that he will destroy this temple and raise it up again in three days, in John 2, verse 19. So what he meant was, people used to go to the temple to be near holiness, to be with God. But now he's saying, I'm destroying the temple. You don't need to go to the temple to find holiness. Come to me. You will find holiness. I'm in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Me in Christ, Christ in me. So believing in him, we get to be in the temple at all times, always, everywhere. And many. Jesus did what he said he would do and who he was, was who he claimed to be. Many people, before and since, and probably will be, may claim to be God. But no one ever has or ever will physically be raised from the death, as Jesus said that he would. No one. 
Jesus. Unlike others who claim to be God and persuade you to follow them, he performed miracles, taught us how to live through his examples of being a servant. And he just let divine revelation reveal to people that he is God. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us and was raised from the dead as the final proof because he knew that we probably wouldn't believe him unless he would come back from the dead. We cannot discount this final proof because people will not try to deny it, but they will try to discredit it. So we need to realize, even those who don't believe in Jesus would not say it did not happen. So do not discount this final proof that he was raised up, the significance of the resurrection. And also, second thing is the death preceded it as a sinless man. He was a sacrificial lamb for all mankind. He spent three years teaching, walking around in front of other people, performing miracles, and let people know that he's God. And he lived a perfect life. Even the 30 years before that, before his ministry, his enemies, the non-believers and the Pharisees, they could not discredit how he lived. So he lived for 30 years, a perfect life, and no one could ever discredit that he was not a sinless person. The next thing, the resurrection. The physical resurrection, never been done before. Unprecedented, never will be done again, period. Unprecedented. I'm gonna offend somebody here. Muhammad died, remained dead. Buddha died, remained dead. Confucius died, remained dead. Greek, Roman mythology gods, well, they never really lived in the first place. So they cannot die and remain dead. Same with any other made-up gods. Unprecedented. Physical resurrection. That's why he did that. So we can hang on to it and realize it happened. God is who he was, he claimed to be. And the next thing, the significance of his resurrection. Fulfilling biblical prophecy. I'm going to try to make this really simple so we can all understand this. Someone came up with a mathematical formula to try to come up with the odd of a person fulfilling just eight prophecy. The odd of that is one in tenth to the 17th, like 17 zeros. It's equivalent to, uh, they, they had a really good example. Actually, this is from Dr. Peter Stoner. You can look it up. The odd of that is similar to you take the state of Texas. You guys know that Texas is huge, right? You take a t t state of Texas, you fill it up knee deep in $1 coins. One of those coins mark an X behind it. You put someone in the state of Texas somewhere, the first coin that they pick up is the one with an X. That is the odd of someone, one person, fulfilling eight, just eight prophecy. The state of Texas, knee deep in dollar coin. The first coin that you pick up is the one that you're supposed to. Eight prophecy. Jesus fulfilled 108 prophecy. So be the odd of Jesus fulfilling or someone fulfilling those prophecy is beyond the realm of possibility for those who want to think analytically. And lastly, his resurrection is significant because when we choose to believe in Jesus and we choose to believe in his resurrection, we're united with him. We're raised up with him from spiritual death and was the spiritual death that was embedded within us. 
from the beginning. Just like I said, we don't have a choice in the matter. It was embedded within us. But now, because of Jesus, we get to reap the benefit of the spiritual life. He did all the heavy lifting for us, right? It is finished. He was the ultimate perfect sacrificial lamb. All we have to do is believe in our heart and declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is equivalent to someone bringing medicine to a dying person. Bring it to their mouth with a spoon, bring it to their mouth, and all the person has to do is open his mouth. That is how easy Jesus has made it for us to be saved from the impending spiritual death. Let me put this in a practical term. Um, this is how sometimes it helped me to believe. Like when I choose to believe in Jesus, and for those of you who may or may not know, all three of my kids, on their own, chose to believe in Jesus. If something were to happen to me today, tomorrow, next week, next year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, I know that I will still get to see them forever and ever. I will get to see Vanessa forever and ever, be with them forever and ever. I will get to be with my parents-in-law forever and ever, and all my friends, my buddies, my mates, forever and ever. That's what it means. But without Jesus, if something were to happen to me, that's it. I would not get to see my kids. For me, that is an incredible, tremendous sacrifice. For those of you, you may not want to see your kids forever. <laughs> but for, it's, it's an incredible, incredible privilege to be able to be with our family, to be with our loved ones forever and ever. That's what it means, spiritual life, for all of eternity. So, the resurrection. It is an undeniable proof that Jesus is God. He is the only true God. The God who is worthy for us to place our lives to. That's what I sing to. Seriously, I say this all the time. If I did not believe that Jesus was God, I wouldn't be here. I could spend all my morning just hanging out, watching ESPN, playing with my kids. But because he is God, we are doing this because we know of how mighty he is of the incredible privilege that we have through his sacrifice, knowing that he's God. And they get, to, they get to see Jesus. For me, I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 31. I keep telling Joel all the time, you know Jesus so much sooner than I have. You are so much further along than me in terms of your revelation of who Jesus is, your understanding of how mighty he is, your, your experience of how incredible his love is. I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, it's, it is awesome. I totally lost track of my notes. <laughs> but anyway, so you guys, I'm trying to express to us this, this incredible privilege to understand that, that, that we don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. We just have to believe in him. So we have heard about what he has done for us. We choose to believe in Jesus who came back from the dead or someone else who only talk about, talk like they're a God and die just like everyone else. Do we choose to believe in Jesus, the God who loves us and gave up everything for all people, not just some of us, for all people? Or the idea of evolution that only the strong survive and the weak is cast aside? 
Choose to believe in Jesus. Choose to believe in Jesus. We choose to believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and his resurrection. So hopefully now we have a better understanding of the significance of his resurrection. So don't ever, please, minimize or not talk about the importance of his resurrection to our friends, to our families, and share with them about the things that we know and the privilege that we have and the incredible privilege that we have of spiritual life that can never, ever, ever be taken away from us. And when you share that with our families, with our children, no one can ever separate our family. So I'm hoping that in heaven, I'm trusting, I know that I will get to see my great, 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 great grandkids and they will know me and I will know them because of what Jesus did on the cross. And his resurrection is the absolute and the final proof that he is God, he was who he claimed to be. Amen. I was going to ask the worship team to come up and sing, but I think we are running, running long. But I'm going, to, I'm going to close this morning because I know the kids are getting ready for the Easter hunt. Right? Did I say that correctly? For the, for the egg hunt, Easter hunt, something. Egg roll hunt. Egg roll hunt. Um, so I'm going to close and pray for us, and then we can uh, release the parents to go look for eggs with the kids. Eggs, egg rolls, it's the same, right? All right, let's close our eyes, and I'll pray. Dear Father, we just want to thank you for you, God. I just thank you for this morning. I just thank you that, uh, Holy Spirit, you have come and just reveal more to us of who you are. Just reveal more of who Jesus is, what he did, what he did on the cross, and just bring a greater revelation of the, of the resurrection, that we choose to believe in you, Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. For those of you who are here, whether you are visiting or you've been coming for a little while, if you have not made a decision to accept Jesus, I would love to pray with you. I would love to stand with you and lead you into a prayer to receive Jesus into your heart. Because Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 said, all you have to do is believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that you will have salvation. And the prayer that I'm going to lead you into is this. It's really simple. Heavenly Father, I admit that I have sinned and ask for your forgiveness. I choose to accept that Jesus died for my sins and was raised up again. Jesus, my Savior, please come into my heart and life to be my Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus to seal this decision in my heart now and for all eternity. I just want to throw that out there. If, you, if you're sitting there and you feel like your heart is, is fluttering or you feel nervous, that's the way of the Holy Spirit is prompting you, revealing more of who Jesus is, allowing us to know of the mighty God that we have and the incredible things that he has for us. So I want to ask, if anyone, with all the eyes are closed, if anyone who wants to accept Jesus now, just raise your hand, and I would love to pray with you. Just a prayer that I just said, a short prayer. I would love to pray with you. This is, I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to join this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Anyone? Dear Father, we just want to thank you for today, God. I just thank you for who you are. I just thank you for what you have done. And we just want to thank you again, Jesus. 
the God who we adore, who we love, and who we know. I just thank you that you are revealing more of yourself to us, that we are able to come to know you more and more with each day, to know that you are a mighty God who loves your people without ends, unconditionally. We pray that uh, you will allow us to have this revelation and seal it in our hearts and allow us to grow and, and allow it to be fruitful wherever that we go. And just thank you for your relationship, Lord Jesus. And I pray to all these things in your name, God. Amen.